Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider talk, the amazing spider talk, come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider. Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin. I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count, at least for now, because I put a Twitter poll up asking whether or not people think that they count. It seems 50-50 at the moment. I'm holding on. Well, well, well Dan, we have a lot of bots who follow us, and, and I have to imagine the bots are going to take your side because it's such a pathetic point of view that... Obviously, bots will vote for it. We'll see what happens in a few hours or, you know, by the time this episode comes out. Which, by the way, I'm Mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely do not count, regardless of what any poll says. Are, are you suggesting, like, the Kravenoff bots from Russia are, 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 are they're pro-annual? The, the, the bots are very, like, chameleon-esque, I feel like. You know, they're just copies of copies of copies, and they're all soulless and very sad, and they probably make copies of the Stacy twins just to really mess with us. That's that's my thought. To vote this, for... This is what Nick Spencer was getting at, is that the, the chameleons are just Russian bots, like this underground network that will probably never be seen again in a Spider-Man comic. And, and... And and for Nick Spencer's final trick, they're voting against the the existence of, or or the non-existence of annuals. So there you go. Well, you know what? Then align me with Nick Spencer and his uh, his goals. Welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun. If you think our last conversation was fun, <laughs> and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for a review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening and being a bot. Yeah, you know, as much as it is the perfect time to start listening at the kickoff of an event and our coverage of that event, you know, if you want to go back and listen to some of our amazing content that we've done prior to this, go check out our other feed, Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues. You know, you never know. It's like when you dig through a back issues bin, you know, it may be a dollar, but that doesn't mean that you might not find some gold in there. And I think some of our earliest episodes are pure gold. And that's an amazing spider talk back issues feed on Apple podcasts. Like I said, we're going to be talking about a review episode on this show. So today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing dark web dusk. Number one, the kickoff to this year's spider event, dark web. This issue was written by Zeb Wells. The issues cover and interior artwork are by Adam Kubert. 
plus colors by Frank Martin, and of course, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on December 7th in the year of our Lord Hobgoblin 2022. Mark, why don't you give us a summary of Dark Web Dusk number one? Sounds good, Dan. Well, we open with Ben and Janine who are holiday shopping. Ben is looking in the windows and sees an official Red Rider Carbon Action 200 shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and a thing that tells time. And Peter and MJ show up and they're all like, you'll shoot your eye out, Ben. Also, Ben, you're not real and you're as bald as Lex Luthor under your blonde hair. In reality, Ben is being confronted with his darkest fears by Madeline Pryor because, of course, this mega crossover is going to continue with Madeline Pryor in it. Ben says, if pain is energy, he is full of it. And James Hetfield is like, sick lyric, brah. Flash over to the coffee bean. And Peter and the gang are celebrating the late Harry Osborne's birthday. Still no comment about Flash being able to celebrate the late Harry Osborne's birthday. But Harry is dead, for real, absolutely, 100% dead. Peter and MJ have called the ceasefire while Paul cares for the kids. Long story... Well, not because it's actually a long story, but because Nick Lowe has some more comics to sell, kids. Norman Osborn is all sad and forlorn, so Peter goes out to comfort him, and they reminisce about all the times Norman tried to ruin his life, including the time he orchestrated the Clone Saga and robbed everyone who was alive at the time about two years of their lives that they'll never get back. When Norman goes after Peter, it hurts all of us. Back to Madeline and Chasm, and apparently the original... Venom. Eddie Brock, he's joined the battle in exchange for finding his son. Meanwhile, the X-Men are enjoying Christmas in New York, and I'm hoping this is just a couple of pages of interlude. But wait, we're back to Madeline casting spells and unleashing demons in New York City. Peter suits up into action and is reminded why he never goes to Rockefeller Center around Christmas. Bazinga. <laughs> the X-Men keep fighting demons on their own end, and Madeline, <clears throat> and ahem, <clears throat> Eve... Sick Eddie out after Spider-Man, while Ben Chasm show up at Norman's door looking for some revenge. Ben gets the jump on Norman, who summons the Gold Goblin attire until Ben reveals that he once posed as Peter and sabotaged Norman's goblin gear before punching his lights out. Close out with Venom swinging into action, looking to eat some Spider-Man brains. Whoa, this is a packed issue. I mean, what was this, a four ninety nine book? So you'd hope it'd be packed with story. You know, I think we were a bit mixed on the previous issue that kind of gave the prelude to Dark Web. And this is kind of maybe more prelude to Dark Web, although it does kick off a number of events here. I won't get into how the whole thing is structured, although it's been advertised that if we want to get Spider-Man story, we can pick up this issue and the Dark Web Dawn issue and the Spider-Man stories in between and kind of get the full thing. I figure we could start off this discussion with our overall thoughts, but uh, echoing what I was just saying is I actually thought for a story that leans heavily into the world of the X-Men, I was really pleased by how much this 
stuck to Spider-Man, his world, and the events that we've been following for all of the Zeb Wells run. Do I think it needed to be tied in with Inferno and all that stuff? No, but like, I don't mind it if the issues are going to be of this quality and sticking this close to what we've been reading thus far. I think if I was going to be like super particular, I might have suggested like, like you said, we kind of got, this is a prelude, but then the last Amazing Spider-Man issue was a prelude. And given that this comic actually feels more entrenched in Spider-Man's world than the last one, which was more focused on Ben and Janine. I almost wonder, like, you know, from a from a chronology standpoint, if it would have made more sense to kind of flip flop it and have like that been the dark web number one. And then like this kind of like, you know, kicking off the ASM story. But, you know, whatever. I'm not I'm not a Marvel editor. Uh, apparently, you have to be super qualified to be that. No, that's a really <laughs> great point, actually. Like, I, I think that previous issue would have been a much better dark web story in that it's really much more Madeline and Chasm related than this one, which I mean, this one's not a very Peter heavy story either, but um, it feels much more focused on the world of amazing Spider-Man than that issue. Yeah. Did. Well, you have all the like the Norman Osborn stuff and the Harry Osborn stuff and and like you actually have a direct confrontation with Peter and Kat and, and Ben, which, I you know, I, I, you know, bringing Venom into it. I don't know. Like it, it felt it felt very entrenched, more much more entrenched in the world of Spider-Man, certainly than the last issue did. I, I, I kind of in terms of like overall thoughts, Dan, I, I have very similar thoughts to what I had to the last issue of Amazing Spider-Man, which was that. Like, on a technical level, I don't know if I have any true problems with this comic. You know, as someone who is not terribly invested in this story after that issue of ASM, I don't know if this brings me in anymore. I mean, you know, like, I, I, I feel like the best parts of it were the parts that were the most entrenched in Peter's world, and they were kind of just used as not window dressing, but like, you know, they weren't essential to the plot. It was just kind of, I think, like, you know, little little breadcrumbs being thrown by Zeb Wells to to, you know, let the readers know, hey, I, I still have a larger plot I'm doing here and I will get back to it at some point. But, you know, this Ben Peter thing and all of Ben's motivations and, and Madeline Pryor's motivations, I just don't care, Dan. I, I, I It's very hard for me to care about this right now. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I am way less interested in the Inferno stuff and whatever's going on between Ben and Madeline. And I'm much more interested in the dynamics of Ben's return. And I'm not sure that we needed to make this a bigger event story. You know, I think maybe it would have been too similar to the Hobgoblin story. But if like thematically we're just doing these kind of like the sins of Norman come back to haunt him thing. And you have Ben returning with some way, like just out to get revenge on, like he's feeling all this pain and he needs to lash out and it comes in the form of attacking Norman, you know, maybe that's a too much of a repeat of what we got with the hobgoblin. Although that story seemed to be much more like about like Machiavellian interests than, than, like just a pure and outright, right? Like uh revenge uh, tale. You know, I, I wish we got that story. You know what? What I will praise us for is that like I was dreading the story for so long because of the Inferno stuff 
But at least in this issue, it didn't detract for me from the kind of emotional tale that we were getting with Ben. Like him confronting Norman, none of that has anything to do with Inferno. Like the bit with Norman at the coffee mean, none of that has anything to do with Inferno. And that stuff all worked for me. If if I have to read Spider-Man dodging living books in the meantime, you know, fine. Like I'm I'm okay with that. Like it's it, it's a weird context for this story, but the emotional element of those kinds of, like uh, you know, character beats worked and that's what I care about at the end of the day. And also I thought like tone and style wise, I, I, I like this kind of like as like a like tone setter. Like the the direct homage back to Inferno at the beginning of this issue with like uh Madeline and or with Ben and Peter pulling off his lips and stuff like that. Like really cool and very dark, edgy nineties stuff and if this is going to be a book that very clearly is aiming at replicating the nineties and like Ben's kind of origin. Okay, fine. Like I'll go with it. I don't love it, but like, I'm not going to like outright reject this in the way that I thought I would entering into this event. I agree with that to a point. I mean, I guess what I would say to all that is like, you know, you, 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 I mean, you talk about what worked for you and, and how that was unrelated to Inferno. And, and, and I agree with that. And I would just like kind of challenge, you know, Marvel's editorial office to be like, well, like, I, I feel like the conflict and the drama is there and we're, and we're overcomplicating it by bringing in Inferno and X-Men to the point where, you know, I, I find it uninteresting, frankly. It's like, what 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 could have been the setup for this story? Like like Ben Riley finds out that Peter you know is aligned with Norman, and Norman is the person who turned him into a glob of glue in you know glob of goo in Spider Man seventy five back. Gabagool, gabagool, you know, gabagool, Um But you know, like 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 I feel like there that's all the. That's all the drama and setup you need. Like a hundred percent. It's like like keep it simple and and like doing all this nonsense with Madeline Pryor and the X Men and Miss Marvel and Venom. Who we'll talk about this when we talk about ASM in our next episode. But oh my god, what, bringing that back Eddie Brock's Venom and it's all its early nineties glory and it's like it's painful. It's like I like why are we why are we bringing this down with all of this excess when there is a perfectly viable story already at the heart of this thing right now and we're kind of like i don't want to say we're glossing over it because it does play a a crucial role in this issue but it still feels less centered around it than it should be that's that's my biggest point I mean, it's funny. I think a lot of my positivity and it's it's hard to talk about this comic without talking about Amazing Spider-Man 15, which since we're recording this a little later than we might normal because they put these back to back and and Mark and I normally record every two weeks just to get a little behind the scenes here. I also you had know, the plague last week, so you didn't want me recording last week. Right, so. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. right. You know, it's hard not to like praise this in contrast to that because like one of the things that I feared about this issue would be like these kind of like uh more kind of line wide books or the event books the like the dark web or let's say like the civil war they often get really damaged by having to set up the the B titles 
that spin out of it. And I don't feel like this one really cared about that at all. Like it really was Spider-Man focused. Whereas, and we'll get into it in ASM 15, that book felt the exact opposite. Like, and it's just weird to see these kind of structural elements uh, playing out that way to you saying overcomplicating things. Let's get into talking about Ben Riley or chasm himself and his motives and characterization, because like, I'm kind of enjoying how lame he's being written here. Like it, like, like, you know, whatever, like grim dumb as Alan Churstall would, would call it, you know, and it's kind of in keeping with the 90s style of this book, but I'm, I'm with you on this Mark, which is like his motivations are so overcomplicated and all over the place. Like, you know, instead of it just being a clean thing, like he's going after Peter and Norman, you know, he's attacking New York with an army of demons. He's sneaking into the X-Men mansion. He's lobotomizing Venom. He's going after Spider-Man, getting revenge on Norman Osborn. It's like 20 different directions uh, to the point that I don't even feel like I understand this character. Like uh, it, even after like ASM 14, which I thought, okay, a bit of a silly title, but a clean motivational arc he's going after spider-man he wants him to eat the fruit even the norman thing seems like a deviation that i'm willing to accept but like i i'm so confused about ben and what he wants and why he needs to involve himself in all this i i assume you feel very very similar like you said like we're, we're yet to see a through line here i mean like you know frankly his whole motivation Going back to the the the, the prelude prelude um, in ASM, like it wasn't entirely clear, but it's like okay, he's he's upset with Peter. He feels that Peter stole his life. Okay, fine. Like like we'll go with it. You know what I mean? We'll 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 do a yes and there. But it's like what I have learned over the course of the last fourteen or fifteen issues of Amazing Spider Man is, and maybe to the chagrin of some. The central conflict of this story seems to be what is the deal that Peter made with Norman Osborn? And I and and that is where the most drama and intrigue and, and interest for me has lied over the last what has it been? Like eight, nine months of this story? Let's just play exclusively in that sandbox. If we want to bring Ben back, let's have let's play in that sandbox with Ben. Like what what is like it could just be a simpler motivation and and in doing this it, it kind of like yeah it, it's it's kind of fun in like the grim dumb consistency of it <laughs> like like okay <laughs> like they're going for it but like there's a better story to be told in just being very straightforward about it and it's like why why are we why are we taking it's not even the scenic route there. It's like, it's, you know, like, I feel like we're going in the wrong direction and then, but we'll still end up at the destination at some point. But like, I don't know, like, it's, it's just frustrating. That's all. It's, it's, it's frustrating. Just, just give me, give me Ben sneak attacking Norman Osborn, sabotaging his equipment and then drawing Peter there to fight him like that, that, that worked. Like that was the best stuff for the whole of, of the last of this issue. And then one that we're going to talk about in, you know, a few hours. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah, and I do really want to talk about those two scenes with you because I, I agree with you. I think they were the highlights of this issue. I'm speaking of the coffee bean scene and the scene in Oscorp. But um, before we get there, Mark, let's talk about the slack. Yeah, well, hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on the slack. 
The Amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you could jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Uh, Dan, I bet you, in addition to Twitter, you could put some pretty awesome polls in the Slack, right? Yeah, absolutely. You you can. There's a thing called simple poll, and so people do polls all the time in our Slack. And, you know, I actually wanted to highlight, you said hundreds of listeners. Actually, this week, we passed over 400 listeners who've joined us in the Slack. So it's a pretty large community at this point. I think especially with the kind of demise of Twitter being such that, I guess today there's a poll out whether or not Elon Musk should remain the head of Twitter, which I don't think is being offered in good faith and journalists being banned and now links to other social media. I mean, it doesn't take like Sherlock Holmes to to identify that Twitter seems to be a Zeppelin on fire getting ready to crash into the side of a mountain. Our Slack is remaining good and, and everybody's joining and, and being welcomed and yeah, if you just want to come in and, and talk about Spider-Man or comics or nerd stuff in general, this week everybody's been talking about the kind of what seems to be the reboot of DC films, all the craziness going on there. So, um, you know, the only way I can keep up with all that is the slack. Those guys keep me straight. I'm like caring for my newborn son and they're telling me about, you know, Henry Cavill getting booted and all this stuff. So anyway, if you want to join our awesome Spider-Man and comics community, just follow the link in the description to this episode and it will take you right to the Slack. You can sign up. You know what's the best thing about it, Mark? I was thinking today is like the big fear of going to a new social platform with the demise of Twitter is like, I don't want to have to regain all of those people following me again and find out who's on what platform. It's just, it's splintered in every which direction. And yes, the Slack is like a splinter as well, but it's not a social media platform. Like you don't have to get people to follow you and convince them that you're worth hanging out with. It's just a place to be. And I, and I find that kind of like a really stress relieving uh, about this whole like fracturing of the internet space. Anyway, it's like our own personal coffee bean. Which is a, perf a perfect segue to our next conversation, Mark, where we're going to talk about this scene at the coffee bean. Uh, tell me what you thought about this, because to me, this was kind of like the emotional highlight of this issue. All kidding aside in my summary about like seeing Flash Thompson at the coffee bean talking about Har the deceased Harry. Well, it's like, were you dead like two weeks ago in this world? I don't know, but whatever. <laughs> You know, this is the kind of emotional resonance that we've been getting in these books consistently on this run for for the last few months. And, and you know, it certainly continued here. I mean, like, you know, like we kind of like, you know, it's it's definitely a bit of a who's who the way ASM 900 was in terms of like, wait, let me let me let me count all the all the different people who are here and how they're connected was like Carly Cooper is here and um you know it's like why are Peter and MJ here okay they've had a ceasefire okay i mean like we're 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 definitely like checking some boxes and like having some good authentic moments and like i don't know ultimately where this is all going with Norman Osborn but like kind of seeing his little like shadowy self outside the coffee bean looking forlorn it was heartbreaking like you're like you like they're really trying to make you feel for this character whether 
you want to feel for this sociopathic murderer, I, you know, that's your mileage may vary. They're working hard and the art's paying it off. So I, you know, like it, it was, it was a very, it was a very emotionally complex and satisfying scene. It was very good. And, you know, it reminds me like him, him kind of outside of it. For some reason, it takes me back to the, like, uh, like the, the, the Dicko days of like the Spider-Man fan club meeting as like depicted both there and in Spider-Man blue of the kind of snowy evening of Norman outside of the party uh, and then attacking it as the green goblin. I, I can't imagine it was an intentional, you know, contrast to that, but that's where my brain went. It's just like, okay, like it's, a, this is an interesting new context for Norman on the outs from, from everybody you know, to see him out, out there. Like this is the kind of approach to addressing what I would consider bad story choices that I wish that someone like Nick Spencer would have kind of adopted. And I thought like it was kind of his MO when we talked about his first issue of amazing Spider-Man kind of picking up the baton from slot and fixing a lot of the problems that we had in a very simple and elegant and quick way. You know, like, okay, like, of course, Peter would be morally ca- like caught up in a problem with Doc Ock stealing, th- you know, material and would lose his doctoral, you know, doctorship. And, uh, you know, like there, there were so many things that he did in that first issue that we really praised before he would go on to belabor solving other things for his entire run. And here, you know, like, I really don't like the decision to kill off Harry Osborn in the way that he was I guess like as a clone getting killed off again. And there's certainly some confusion amongst the people here. And, and Norman even acknowledges as much like he was a clone. I don't know how to feel about that. It's nice to see that like Harry's death meant something to these characters. It may not make any sense at all, as you alluded to with the whole flash Thompson of it all, but like acknowledge it meant something be specific about what it meant, which is they know he was a clone or at least uh, Peter and Norman acknowledge that he was a clone and it's complicated and let's move on from it while acknowledging that like it would actually mean something emotionally to these people. And then, you know, drawing an elegant like parallel that then leads into the later part of this book, the like that both of them had a clone die in their arms vis-a-vis some Norman related thing I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm with you. What would you make of this whole ceasefire between like Peter and MJ in the context of what did Peter do and like bringing Carly into it and asking about Paul, which suggests, I guess, people don't really universally understand like what it is that happened here. Did it provide you any additional insight into this? I don't know if it provided me with insight. I mean, like. That whole dynamic, frankly, was probably my least favorite part of the scene because it was like, I feel like we, you know, we, we want, we need to put Peter and MJ together in this scene for it to like, you know, like obviously both would be there to celebrate Harry Osborne's life. But then we also have this whole problematic storyline going on right now between Peter and MJ. And we have to acknowledge that. But like, we don't want to derail what the story we're telling right now. 
So then it's like, you know, we just kind of like, oh, well, you know, like waving it away, kind of like, you know, we're can waving it right now. Like, I, I don't know. It, 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 it that of of everything in this scene that worked, that didn't work for me. And, that, you know, hence hence my crack in, in the synopsis, which was like, it's a long story. And I'm like, well, it's not I don't know if it's a long story. It's just a story we have intentionally chosen not to tell in this book right now and we'll get it when we're supposed to get it whether it be after this storyline or 10 storylines from now so well the reason uh, it doesn't seem like a terribly long story as you're suggesting is there's not we're not like playing really with any clues here you know like it seems like when we find out about it it's going to be like oh like this is just what happened like it doesn't seem to be really being sold as a mystery that we're meant to guess at which like i i i appreciate in some ways but it also makes it really hard to read a scene like this because we really don't know who these characters are and what they want and how they're interacting with each other and so you don't really know like emotionally what to take like it's not adding anything because we don't even really know the base to add upon it's weird i mean that's that's a great point i mean we have not gotten actual clues about any of this it's all all we know is that peter made some kind of deal with norman over the quote-unquote love of his life which we are to assume is mary jane but but like how that you know the, the the cascading effects of that with paul and children and everything else we've received zero information on and yeah my my assumption at this rate 15 issues it I mean it will be 15 issues when we review our next issue is when this information gets delivered to us it's going to be an information dump I could be wrong but then I don't know if that's good storytelling either to all of a sudden start dropping clues in after really not doing any of that for for the last nine months or so you know so it's like yeah is it a long story or just you know, you being Zeb Wells and the editorial team are telling a long story and, and you know, now is not the time for us to tell it in the confines of this comic book. My fear and assumption is that, like, this is an attempt at a bold move of removing the Mary Jane romantic element from the equation. I think... Earlier, I thought it was about bringing them back together eventually, but the more the time goes on and and the story doesn't seem to be focusing on this, it makes me think they didn't want to start the runoff with something that would be hugely controversial as much as this book has turned out to weirdly be controversial in a way that I don't necessarily agree with. But but I don't know. I mean, until it ends, it's hard to really say one way or the other. So like uh, this is the rare uh, opportunity where I'm going to say uh, I actually don't feel like speculating on it because, uh, you know, there is an interesting clue in 15 that we will talk about when we talk about 15, what they're intending to do here and how they're going about doing it like has ups and downs. And, you know, until it plays out, we won't really fully understand why those choices were made. And even then, we might not understand why those choices were made. My my like I can only go into the saying like, I think that this is a smart writer in many instances. And I hope that the choice to do this was very much intentional in the way that so many other elements of this run have seemed intentional. So I'm like giving him the benefit of the doubt for now. But it is awkward as a reader 
to read it and not know like how we're supposed to feel about these things. Well, one thing that was very clear to me is how much I liked the kind of concluding scene of this issue, which is Chasm or Ben Riley confronting Norman Osborn at Oscorp. Tell me about the scene. You like it as much as I did? Yeah, I mean, this definitely had some rawness to it um, that I feel like I don't want to say has been missing from the Spider-Man comics, but like, like, like there, there was this kind of a, 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 there was some. This was scary in its own way. You know what I mean? Because like you just like there was a part of me that was like, when 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 Ben shows up, like I felt there was a real threat for Norman, and and obviously it paid off as such, but like, but like even. Even more so than I think how it paid off in the in the pages of this comic where it was like, how far will he go? You know what I mean? Because like, and it goes back to my original point, like the motivation is just so simply there. It's, you know, Norman, Norman, I mean, like put aside Norman's role in the clone saga, which is convoluted in its own right. In Peter Parker, Spider-Man number 75, Norman kills Ben Riley. you know, he, he wipes him out, you know, like it's there, it's done, you know, it's kind of like, you know, go back to that issue of, I don't know if it was like superior Spider-Man team up or whatever, when it was like, you know, Otto versus Kane. And, you know, he like goes ballistic on Kane. Like it's right there, you know, like the, 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 the story is right there. You don't have to embellish it with anything else. Ben is, you know, Ben, who is already in a really you know, bad state of mind is confronting Norman. And like, I like, like it was a kind of threat level. I don't think I've experienced in reading a Spider-Man comic in a while where you're like, Oh man, like how far will he go here? You know, what, what kind of damage is he going to do? So like having that kind of setup was great. Like worked for me a hundred, like, you know, I was in, like, I wanted to see, like, if anything, I wanted to see more. I was kind of disappointed that it kind of ended as quickly as it did. Cause it was kind of like, you know, Norman gets the goblin gear on and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, I sabotage you. Boom. You know, and it was like, no, I want to I, I wanted to see a little more of a cop. I want to see more cat and mouse before Ben pulled out that that trump card. So um, but still it was it was well executed scene for sure. I think the ideas were meant to read that further conflict in the pages of Gold Goblin um, is where that's going to be playing out. But, you know, I, I enjoyed what we got here. But you're right. You you know. Seeing some more kind of like 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 Ben exercising whatever new powers he has in a fight with uh you know this new gold goblin suit that we're still testing you know could have been really exciting in, in, in the pages here, but uh, like I said like uh like you said I thought this was a great scene it's so funny that it took this long because Ben has been back for like what almost ten years now in, in the pages of this book like since the clone conspiracy I mean maybe that's more like seven years ago or whatever, you know, have, sending him off to Las Vegas and that whole Peter David thing. It just seems like such a weird direction to have taken the character when stories like this exist. Like I would read a whole like a uh, series of Ben hunting down Norman and the Jackal for revenge on like what they did to him from the clone saga. Like that seems to be like just baked into the character. You know, if you're going to do dark Ben, that's the story I want to read. I don't want to read him fighting Peter. You know, I want to see how far is like a little bit unhinged Ben willing to go. Like just to kind of like any good scene where you're never quite sure who has the upper hand or the power in the scene is always good. Like this scene did a really great job flipping back and forth between 
you know, who had the upper hand and, and that's really exciting. And anytime I think you're reading like superhero comics like this. Um, and I, I thought Kubert did a really great job rendering this scene and, you know, in, in all the kind of exciting, uh, violence. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's things like this that made me excited for dark web, which I, and I will admit, like I said, at the top of the show, I don't think really has much to do with dark web more than it has to do with like just smart character work. So I was I was praising Adam Kubert. What do you think of his work in in this issue? He's not someone we like typically associate with Spider-Man, even though he's done a few books over the years. Yeah, I was say like when was the last time we got regular Kubert work? Was that like the the Renew Your Secret Vows? Wars? Yeah, I was saying might have been Renew Your Vows. So I mean, I mean, he got that story and Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine, which I which I quite like. So I mean, he's got some he's got some I would consider somewhat definitive takes on the character under his belt. The book looked fine enough. I mean, like I didn't, I didn't love the visual stylings of it, but like I've also been like so all in on JRJR on this book for you know. So it's like every time we get a break from him, I'm like, ah, you know what I mean. So I don't know. What do you have more profound feedback than I do on this? I mean, I think his stuff really fits in with the '90s kind of like uh, theming of this. Like it's it's dark and edgy and. I like his kind of flaming limbo. I thought was a, a blast. He, he, I mean, hands down, he's a great X-Men artist, you know, and, and he, he's been on our show and it will admit as much. He's not really a Spidey guy. So like seeing him like render the X-Men and Madeline Pryor with her like flaming scythe and grand piano. It's like, I think he really excels in the non Spidey Spider-Man-y visuals. But like, you know, in terms of like bringing like hell on earth stuff and some like decent action, I, I, I tend to like Adam Cooper. I've liked his recent work on on the Wolverine title. His Spidey's a little stiff, but, um, you know, it, it's not it's like it's nothing I would like balk at. Like, you know, if he was a ongoing Spidey artist, I'd be pretty thrilled about that. So, I mean, um, his final image of Venom was fun. I thought like, yeah, you know, like, I mean, very, very 90s fight, but it was in a good way. You know what I mean? Like, I I mean, and this is the venom we're getting, whether we like it or not in this book. So, yeah, I mean, if, if there's really only one like technical thing I could block, like like not Cooper on in this book is like I find his visual blocking of like dialogue and stuff kind of confusing. Like the characters flip well in film terms, it's screen direction. And so like they'll be on like opposite sides of the panel. There's like one moment that's really confusing in the coffee bean where they refer to a Mrs. Osborne. And I like, and it's, it's, I thought they were talking to Liz Allen, but like geographically that doesn't make sense given the scene. So I'm like, okay, is Harry's mother there? You know, like that we met at the, in the red goblin story. I, I don't know. I just took it as Liz, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I didn't even think about that. You're right. I was just assuming it was Liz, but I didn't even think about the blocking of it. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, like, if you go back and look, it doesn't match up to where Liz would be in the bar. And it, so it's like, okay, I, you know, it was a little bit confusing. But um, I, overall, I, I, I liked his stuff. So, okay, Dark Web is star- officially started now. What what do you think, given a grade on this issue? I mean, this might seem a little low, but I, I'm going to give it a C plus. I I... I, I I enjoyed what I enjoyed, but I I am still not that into this story, so I can't really go much 
further than that but i don't know like that like yes the 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 two scenes we just discussed in the second half of this episode were legitimately good scenes where i think if they were just focused on that in the confines of a normal sized asm it would have been higher so um but there you go yeah and um i i i I could echo your sentiments completely Uh, this is a b minus for me i am enjoying dark web in so as in so as much as it's a spider-man book and uh, the rest of it, I could take it or leave it. That's our kind of final word on this issue. So um, if you do find, like this issue, uh, you know, our show, Entertaining and Valuable, please consider supporting us. Recommend Amazing Spider Talk to a friend. And if you're able, it'd be great to have you as a member of our Patreon. Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. We are constantly making exclusive content for our members, right, Dan? Absolutely. So you can take $3.99. That's less than the price of this comic. And you can put it towards a month's subscription to support our show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way you'll hear all of our uh, Patreon-exclusive review podcasts on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week they come out instead of waiting for them to arrive in your public podcasting feed. And plus, I've been doing these new Patreon-exclusive live call-ins each week that I've been releasing as videos and as um, podcasts for our Patreon members um, so they can join in, talk about the new issue, and hear what other members in the community thought about it. So if you don't want to just hear Mark and I talking about this, maybe you love Dark Web or you hate it with every fiber of your being, Sign up for the Patreon, let us hear those thoughts, and uh, we'll feature you on that exclusive feed. Well, Mark, what if someone were to contribute more than $3.99 Oh, you mean you need me to keep reading the script. I'm sorry. Yes! If you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. This time, we've got a recreation of Web of Spider-Man number one, iconic cover of Black Suit Spider-Man, but this time joined by Daredevil, as illustrated by Juan Ferreira. Dan, this piece is so good. Juan tweeted it out. He tweeted it out. So, I mean, you know, go follow him on Twitter if you want to see it. But man, I cannot wait to get a piece of this uh, in, our, in, in our mailbox. I know we just got some art from you with some other stuff but man this Ferreira piece looks amazing I can't wait to send it out I'll probably be sending it out early in the next new year I mean that's been the universal sentiment is people are like itching to get this which is funny because it's very Daredevil oriented but I think like every Spider-Man fan also loves Daredevil I think that's a pretty safe bet yeah, they, they, they go together. So anyway, uh, plus every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. And, you know, I, I heard a rumor that Nick is hard at work for our new season coming up soon, Dan. So, you know, those are, those are going to be coming down the pipeline. Yeah, more on that soon. But uh, we do know it's a hard time for everybody, as it is for us, too. So we appreciate anyone who just supports the show by listening to it and sharing it. But if you have the means, you know, we would love to have you join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. Mark and I put a ton of hard work into Amazing Spider Talk and onto our Patreon content. So we know, like, you know, that support would really help us continue 
and I think be very rewarding to you for uh, you know so a ton of entertainment. So there's a link in the description to this episode um, that'll guide you right there, or you can go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com, and there's a big Patreon button, so you can go and check out all we have to offer. So a special thank you to you, the listener, but also to all the members who already make this show possible by supporting our Patreon. But alas, Dan, it's that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, as always, this episode was edited by Rick Coast. Our video version is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Golucky. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Mark, until I turn evil and get violent revenge on my own personal Norman Osborn from our annual series, what's our motto? Now, that, that, that could get you a police report, Dan. I don't know about that, but... <laughs> With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.